Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin. I'm not even going to beat around the bush with an introduction. We had a tremendous weekend of NCAA tennis, the final weekend of the 2019 season. Obviously, in Orlando, the quarterfinals started for the men on Thursday, the women on Friday. So we really were treated to some tremendous tennis all weekend long. Unfortunately, or I suppose, again, fortunately, because I had an absolute blast at Cracked Racket Founders Dalton Thieneman's wedding this weekend, but because of that, we weren't able to record uh, after every round. You know, our producer, Daniel Westoff, was heavily inebriated the entire weekend, so we would have hate to have to have that burden on him for sure. You would have heard me cussing, and I don't want to do that to you listeners, but... With that being said, we would never leave you guys hanging without a recap, so we are going to talk today about the quarterfinal action, the semifinal action, and of course, the final round of the NCAA men's side of the team tournament, because there was incredible results all weekend long. Joining me to do so, it wouldn't be a college tennis podcast if he wasn't here to talk with me. You know his stuff from college tennis ranks. He, of course, is the heavily Mississippi State-biased uncle of Mississippi State player Trevor Fauché. Chris Hallioris, hey, great shot, and welcome back to the podcast. Hey, good to be here as always, Alex. Were you upset? at? I feel like you were upset with me that we weren't able to record. I feel like you ignored my texts all weekend long. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they were just they were just flying in, and you know, I, I mean, I I knew the state you were in, so <laughs> that was the real thing. Is I didn't want to get myself in trouble by texting you stupid things on Friday night. I had some takes that were brewing, to say the least. But I thankfully I kept them inside, and now I don't have to you know worry about them coming up today. But joining us, Chris, as it is the final recap of the team season, someone we love to bring in for our podcast about the college tennis all year long. I call him Matt the Crack Stokowiak. You guys know him as our wonderful writer at CrackedRackets.com. Matt Stokowiak, hey, great shot, and welcome back to the podcast. It's been way too long. Way too long, fellas. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'm only slightly offended that it's taken you this long to get me back on here, man. But uh, no, man, of course, in all seriousness, it's going to be a blast. Always love talking college tennis with you guys, and we had another great weekend, so let's get into it. Well, I'm not going to lie. Chris and I assembled a quorum, and two is obviously a quorum when you have three people, and we had a vote, and we said, we're going to go with Luca Corintelli for this one. We just thought he uh, he was going to bring a little extra oomph, so I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. Obviously, I'm just mm-hmm. trying to get your juices going. And let's let's not forget Stokoyak, that before that, he said, let's bring in Quentin Monaghan. So it was a heavily, <laughs> AC, it was heavily wow. ACC, it was heavily ACC player biased and not ACC <laughs> brother biased is what I got out of that. I, I know, man. All right, that's fine. That's all good, Gruskin. I'll keep I'll keep that in mind. I've I've just always preferred Arthur Ashe to Stan Smith, and so my Duke bias runs deep. As you can <laughs> tell. <laughs> no, obviously I'm kidding. But yes, I'm so happy to have you both assembled because obviously we have a ton of tennis to talk about. No shot clock today because I want to enjoy these quarterfinal rounds, but we're only going to really break down two of those matches, go in depth on the semifinals, in depth on the final, because as I mentioned, things broke just so interestingly all weekend long. Uh, but with that, you guys ready to rock and roll? Yeah, let's do it. Oh, yeah. Westoff, give me bell number one. 
So let's start with just the opening match that obviously got everyone's attention on Thursday. Number one seed Ohio State, thirty-two and two coming into the match, takes on number eight or number nine seed North Carolina, who obviously had upset number eight seed USC in the round of sixteen coming into this tournament in good form. And I mean, right off the bat, North Carolina comes out firing. They seem the better adjusted team for the outdoor environment, the slow courts in Orlando that. Uh, just walloping heat that we mentioned, or if you followed throughout the weekend on tennis Twitter, you saw mentioned all weekend long. Those things were obviously factors, but for the Tar Heels to take that doubles point from a from an Ohio State team that had only lost the doubles point twice all year long, that really set the tone for the match. And Chris, I'll start with you. It felt like at that point Ohio State kind of fell behind, and then they took four first sets, and things flipped on us. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just starting with the doubles though. I think the thing that really shocked me was was not just the fact that Tubert McNally lost, but the fact that they went down six two. I mean, they had been so rock solid all year, and and uh, and that's one where I know you you said Carolina takes the dubs point right, and and uh, and, and I think the, most of us thought Ohio State would, and that kind of I mean that definitely it set it up to be a little a little troublesome for sure but uh but you know ohio state still didn't necessarily look like they were uh in bad shape once the singles got going uh but but yeah i mean it's uh, yeah, I, you gotta hand it to carolina they 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 just they fought and they fought well this is why i'm happy we have you because you're able to obviously slow the reels when my brain goes reeling there's just so much tennis for me to talk about again i was at the wedding all week and i didn't want to bother these random guests go up to dalton's third cousin say hey you know unc looked really good in today's quarterfinal i should be like huh like unc what are you talking so you know i didn't want to do that so my mind is racing yes let's start with that doubles point as you mentioned uh in our prediction pod we talked about how important that was for unc team who i believe had won the doubles point in all but five matches on the season uh they come into this one and we talked about it you know two doubles was going to be a struggle cobalt and selig had been so good all year long and Cernok and Seguin just kind of cruised in that two doubles flight, and that was kind of the initial punch. Now, of course, along the way, Wolf and Joyce get an easy 6-1 win at one doubles, but for Tubert and McNally, and credit to our guy Bobby Knight, whose uh, recaps I'm going to be poaching off of all podcasts long, uh, McNally and Tubert had a ton of chances. They had multiple 40-15 opportunities to break and to hold serve that Kiger and Sondegard uh, kind of fought their way out of. I mean, Matt, it was it was a gut punch right away for the Buckeyes. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I definitely saw OSU taking the dubs point. I mean, you mentioned how great they've been all year in dubs, and, you know, I mean, the Tar Heels are tough. I mean, we knew it was going to be tough, but... Really, that court three shocked me a little bit. Uh, I mean, I've seen Kiger and Sondergaard play a lot this year. They're a very solid team, especially in that three slot. But, I mean, when you look at it, Tubert and McNally, that, that's kind of the team that you want at number three. I mean, last undefeated. year it was Tubert and undefeated. Last year it was Tubert and Mendez. You know, McNally slides in there to replace Mendez this year. And, you know, there's really no drop off there. So, I thought for sure that Ohio State was going to take the dubs point and, you know, once they didn't, the formula was then there all of a sudden for, for the heels to take the match because the way that I was looking at it, I thought they had a good chance to win at two and, uh, and five. And so then, you know, with the doubles point, that's three points right there. They only needed one more. 
And, you know, they were able to get that with Brian Cernock at number four in a match that I was pretty shocked by. I mean, Cernock's a great player, but 2-0 and over Martin Joyce, uh, I don't know about that one. So, yeah, overall, I mean, I just have to say credit to, to UNC. Um what a, what a great team. I mean, I had them losing to, to USC in the round before. So for them to get through this one, take out Ohio State, who who I had as a favorite to win the whole thing, it's uh, it, it was a big-time performance from the guys. And just to harp on the doubles point one last time, not to you know play a little clickety-clack here, but when I had the chance to talk to Ty Tucker after they won the indoors, he mentioned to me he thought their best doubles lineup, and we'll see in the individuals this weekend, Tubert and Joyce playing together because they were highly ranked after their fall success. He thought getting them together as a team and getting Wolf McNally as a team, getting them together as a team would give Ohio State the best chance moving forward. And it's just so fascinating because they had so much doubles success all year long. So he never pulled the trigger on that change. I'm sure that's just one of many things he'll be thinking about. But now, racing back to the singles, as you mentioned, uh, Ohio State takes four first sets, which was very good for them, but North Carolina quickly puts two more points on the board. Chris, uh, we mentioned in our preview, Bo Boyden we thought was pretty likely to get a win over Alex Cobalt, who was coming off of a loss in the round of 16 to Columbia. Boyden does get that done 6-1, 6-3, but as Matt mentioned, Brian Cernock, who ends up being all-tournament team at number four singles, that 6-2, 6-0 win over Joyce was something no one expected, at least not in that fashion. Yeah, definitely not in that fashion. I think, I, I think you know, we, we, we talked about it a little bit on, on the preview. And, I mean, certainly after the fact, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But after the fact, you go, well, those are the two guys that are best helped indoors, right? So, you know, it, for, for those that are looking at the indoor-outdoor thing, if you're thinking they're susceptible outdoors, those are the two spots they're going to be most susceptible at. And, uh, but... But regardless, not not like that. I mean, two and zero. Obviously, Joyce just didn't. It wasn't his day, <laughs> or sort of like had the day of his life. One of the two. But uh, but yeah, that's. I mean, to, as soon as they put those two up, uh, that just made it. I mean, anytime you're going to try to come back from three zero, and you kind of had the sense, especially when you know Blumberg tweaked his whatever it was, his hamstring, his you know he. I think it was his his hamstring, and we had somebody tweet during the match that he had kind of turned into the stands and said, "My hammy popped." Um, but he looked at when, at least from when I was watching, he kind of looked more like he was beating on the inside of the groin area, right? And it might have just been kind of where the hamstring was kind of wrapping, or you know, right right there where it meets. But uh, I swear to God, Chris, when I saw the replay, and sorry to cut you off, but I thought he hit himself in the. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I, it happens, you know, on a backswing, on a serve. Sometimes you follow through a little too, you know, a little too towards the center, and you know, you make a little incidental contact. And I was like, oh, that's a stinger, because like the way his face tweaked on the tennis channel replay. But sorry, little thought there for you. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, well, not the thought I was looking for, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean, as soon as you see him, kind of even the slightest bit hobbling, and it was, and it didn't look like something that he was just going to shake off right i mean he did well to kind of hang hang around the, as as well as he did but i mean you know it's hard enough to play jj wolf at 100 percent. you're not you know you're not going to beat him if you're even 90 percent, right so you kind of had the sense that that one was going to go ohio state's way and with the other two gone they, they had to get them all so then you still needed you still needed tubert who 
going in, we kind of, that was Carolina's weak spot. The last couple matches, they'd just gotten beat up at six. So you kind of liked Tubert's chances there. And that really, that really was bringing it down to, to Sea League and McNally then, uh, to see what they could do. Sea League pulls his off. Uh, and then you're thinking, well, it's, it's all down to McNally and Seguin now. And, uh, you know, and credit to, to Seguin. He was, he, he was able to hang in there. That was, that was tight right to the end. Yeah, and for Tubert, you mentioned that match. For him to, as you mentioned, he's up 6-4, 4-0 in a spot you thought Ohio State had to have. And to the Buckeyes' credit, they really did make a push. J.J. gets on the board. Uh, Seelig closed out his match with Josh Peck, who had obviously been playing pretty well. And then, yeah, you have to wonder if Tubert gets on the board there, 3 all. You can turn all eyes to that final match. You know, does that change anything? But just Matt from Ben Seguin, you're our ACC guy. This is not the first time we've seen this sort of level from him. In fact, you know, after that match, he ends up uh, with his record 15 and five on the year. I believe he got a win today at the NCAA individuals, but just such a good performance from him. Yeah, it was a great performance. And I mean, this guy's really talented. I mean, to, to me, I think he's one of the best, you know, when he's playing well, one of the best number twos in the country, no question about it. Um, and I, I don't know if you guys were watching it, but that third set was was really bizarre. I mean, Seguin got out to a quick 3-0 lead in the third. And then all of a sudden, it was like he couldn't even find the court and McNally ripped off four in a row to go up four to three. And then Seguin rips off three to win the match. It, it was just, that was a bizarre final set. I didn't really see it going that way at all. And once McNally won those four games, I was like, wow, Seguin's going to choke this thing away. I mean, it's gone. And then he just reeled it back in so quickly. It was, you know, kind of an up and down performance overall, but, you know, he got through it. I mean, in that situation, that's all that matters. Yeah, that was a 3 0 double break for Seguin in the yeah. third, right? I mean, yeah. yeah that was it, it was weird, but it just speaks to the fact the Buckeyes put themselves, uh, you know, in a bunch of deep holes, and in the end, they just couldn't climb out of that, despite all of the fight. And I kind of want to end this match because you know it was great, but we've got a ton of other tennis to talk about. So ended on this thought, Chris, and then Matt. This Ohio State team, obviously, so impressive all year long. They don't lose a dual match with J.J. Wolf until that fi- until that quarterfinal. Uh, obviously, they were the national indoor champions. But I, I don't know. It just it, this loss. It didn't shock me that much, and I don't know what it is about the, uh, this team. But just I I don't know. I guess my my question, to both of you, was this loss you know a shocking start to the weekend, or uh, we always knew it was going to be a close match, right? Yeah, I don't think it it wasn't shocking, and I th- I had told you up front that that I had I would have wanted to pick them to lose that match in the when we filled out brackets. My only problem was I wasn't confident enough in my Carolina USC pick to want to pick whoever that was to move on because they right. could, which which in reality I lost because I had taken USC in that match. So had I taken <laughs> USC again. That was another round, which inevitably I lost anyway because I had taken Ohio State. But I had taken Wake to beat Ohio State. I just, but yeah, I thought I I still was of the mindset that they were kind. You know, yes, they were number one, but they weren't like a far and away number one. And and yeah, I I still felt like they were susceptible at those positions where they're have you know where they're indoor biased. So I don't. It wasn't shocking to me at all. 
Yeah, for me, it wasn't shocking, but I'll, I'll admit I was surprised. I mean, I picked the Buckeyes, and I felt pretty darn good about that going into that match. I just I, – I don't know what it was. I just – I thought Ohio State was going to make it through that one. Like Chris, I picked USC over the Tar Heels in the round before, so I just – I didn't feel good enough picking them in both of those matches. So – I can't say that I was shocked because I've watched UNC all year and I know that the level that they can play at is super high when they're clicking, but at the same time, I was I was surprised and I, I would not have picked UNC. I mean, I didn't pick UNC. I felt strongly that OSU would have made it through that one. It's The reason I wanted to ask that question is because I think it speaks to the, the tone of the weekend that all of these teams so close in level that any dual match really could have gone any other way. But yeah... I mean, credit to the Tar Heels. They played an incredible match, and in the end, it was enough for them to upset the number one seed and put themselves in a position to compete in the NCAA semifinals. But with that said, let's move on to our next quarterfinal match. Uh, obviously, this was another 4-2 result, but really a thrilling match that had they finished uh, every you know individual singles. It could have been 4-3. Of course, I'm talking about the interconference quarterfinal battle between number four, Wake Forest, Number five, University of Virginia now on the preview pod with Luca Corintelli there with my known affinity for the University of Virginia. I predicted Virginia to win 4-3, and after they took the doubles point, Chris, I actually wasn't feeling too bad about that. Yeah, but I think we all kind of figured they, they should have taken the doubles point, right? I mean, I think I don't. I, obviously, it's it's better than it's better than losing it to for sure. But but certainly, you know, I think the, you know those of us that thought Wake was going to win the match weren't overly concerned with the with losing uh, the doubles point. Uh, you know, at at that point before we saw what happened, and you know, before we skip ahead to the end of the weekend. But you know, for them winning four singles is what's happened all year. So win the doubles point, lose the doubles point to them. It, it hadn't mattered, but it was it was absolutely critical for for Virginia to have it. To, I think to to have their chance, and and they did what they needed to do with a big breaker at three. Uh, uh, but but yeah, I mean, I think you 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 had to be feeling at least you know your chances of your of of, of the who's coming through were, were certainly in, in better shape uh, after they took the doubles point, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, first of all, yes, my chances. But the reason I kind of wanted to frame that is because we talked about how important that was for them. And for them to win that doubles point and then change their lineup, they take out Gianni Ross from the four singles position. And if you watch that doubles point, Virginia, and with all due respect, they didn't win it as much as Wake Forest kind of gave it to them. I mean, Banthia and F. Stathio down the stretch just missed so many balls in the net and double faults and but in that doubles tiebreaker Gianni Ross opened it with a double fault he was looking shaky as well he obviously hadn't been playing as well I believe he had lost three of his four singles matches coming into that that this dual match and you know coach Pedrosa decides to pull him he moves Getz up to four Leeson up to five Lord up to six I think Lord hadn't played a match since about March and to me I just I guess Matt at that point of the match, do you understand that decision? Nope, I don't. I think that was a terrible decision. I, I mean, clearly, I, I don't understand what, what Pedroso is thinking there. I mean, I, I can't rationalize this decision. I don't care how poorly Gianni Ross may have been playing. 
I mean, pulling him and then inserting Matthew Lord into the lineup is is a recipe for disaster against Wake Forest. I'm sorry, I, I disagreed with that decision, and I think there's a chance that it could have cost him this match. I, I just, I, I don't get it, man. I mean, I saw Wake play Virginia a couple times earlier this year, and, you know, Ross may not have played his best matches against Wake, but I say give him another shot, man. I mean, we're talking about a guy that, is really talented and you know I just felt like if I'm coaching that team I'm leaving him in my lineup there is no question I'm not even thinking about it because Matthew Lord has really played very little this year I mean he plays doubles but in singles he, he's not really there to play singles on that team that was just a quick loss you know a point for Wake right after losing that dubs point and the mo momentum was a little bit gone I just I can't rationalize that decision. I mean, what do you guys think? I think the biggest thing is you look at the marginal benefit down the line, but gets, gets a win at four singles, but you have to wonder if he plays five, Leeson at six, who had been having a ton of success coming into the match. What does that do considering they, you know, again, you lose at five and six instead and you push those down. Even if you flip one of those, you know, that point becomes that much more important because now you have you know, Soderlund cramps out, but you have Brandon Nakashima playing an incredible match against Petros Frisokos, having already fought off match points, and of course, that's all very hypothetical. That, of course, assumes both Getz and Leeson would have gotten wins at six. It also assumes that Ross would have lost at four, and you can play what-if games, whatever, but I guess, Chris, same thing to you. You you know the UTR is better than anyone. You, we had talked about it before, and I believe you said you weren't completely shocked that the change happened. No, only because so a gets a beaten. You know he had beaten Kangu earlier in the. Or, you know not in the last time they they had played. So so Virginia had to like their chances there. Yeah, they probably had to figure they were giving up six. Uh, but I'm not so I'm not so sure that it wasn't just a a straight up coach coach's decision as you know maybe there's something that we just don't know going on with Ross. Yeah. like you said. He, he not only did he double fault the first point of the breaker, he double faulted once in his last service game of this uh, uh, during the doubles match as well. So he just, I mean, he wasn't at a minimum he wasn't looking good or comfortable serving, uh, and even the serves he was putting in, they you know they they weren't great. Uh, so maybe there was something going on there, and that's the reason he didn't play. It may not have been just a straight up you know DNP coach's decision. It could have been just you know, physically unable to go kind of thing. I don't, I don't know, but, he, but even if it were, I don't, I don't think it was, I don't think it was horrible. They, they kind of figured they had to think they were going to split four and six. And then it was really a question of whether Lizen could beat, uh, Estetheu at five. And, uh, I mean, it didn't work out, obviously he didn't, but you know, maybe that maybe Pedrosa liked his, his chances, uh, at that spot. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it definitely mm -hmm. made it, it made it really tough because you're you just have to you have to not like your chances at one and two no matter what right so you're really counting on getting three of those bottom three of the bottom four which you can't do if you lose two of them <laughs> no i completely agree with you yeah when you mentioned this is not to take away anything from wake forest i just thought it was a fascinating coaching decision but for the demon deacons yeah, I'd even include Botzer in that group. Obviously, their strength has been the top three of the lineup all season long, and we can obviously hold that thought because something magnificent happens in the finals that I promise you listeners will enjoy hearing about. 
Um, but for this Wake Forest team, you know, uh, Barbots are just really Henrik Weirsholm from Virginia wasn't able to find any standing in the match all that match long. Botzer takes it to him three and two, as you mentioned. Estathiu uh, three and four over Lezon. Sid Banthia, who played so well all weekend long, three and zero oh over Lord. And then you know when it comes down to your top two players, yes, Virginia's are incredibly talented in Carl Soderlin and Brandon Nakashima. But if you're Coach Bresky, you love the fact that it comes down to Borna Gojo and Petros Risokos and we could spend 10 minutes talking about Brandon Nakashima's comeback from down match points to win that second set 7-6 over Petros. The fact that he was then, you know, in that uh, third set, I believe they were trading breaks. He was down 2-1, but up 15-40. And whether that match would have ended one way or another, how talented Brandon is, how badly we want to see him play another season of college tennis. But I want to use this as our point to transition about a, a non exactly tennis thing or at least not match specific and that's the weather and the circumstances the heat and the bugs and all of these things that came into play in Orlando because in this match Wake Forest Borna Gojo ends up getting a 4-6-6-4-6-1 win over Carl Soderlund Soderlund cramps out in that third set you know very valiantly continues to fight but just couldn't move at all and Gojo just kind of wraps up that third pretty quickly but getting to the weather it was hot it was sticky and you have to say it was a factor, right, Chris? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and the way Soderlin cramped up, and that was early third set when he cramped up, too. It was, I mean, you could tell as soon as it happened, the match was over. I mean, he couldn't move. He looked like a guy that had broken his ankle, right? I was there when, when Henning broke his, you know, against Mississippi State earlier this year. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm texting folks, like, he looks exactly like that. I mean, he, this yeah, guy literally. Yeah, I was one of those folks. Yeah, he cannot. He yeah, he cannot move. But uh, but yet, you know, the the one thing that I that as as soon as that happened, the first thought that entered my head was thinking back to you know. So a part of it you couldn't help because it was a scheduling deal. Wake played their uh, they played their Sweet Sixteen match on Friday. They and one other school played Friday, where the net the other six played on Saturday. So Wake played on Friday traveled saturday and was practicing out in orlando on sunday uh, and the smartest thing you could have done was get down there as fast as possible and get the guys out in the heat and and get acclimated right and now who knows whether that's you know an extra day of that is helps make the difference it could be that you know some guys are in better shape than others it could you know it well it's never a freak it's never totally freak right i mean you cramp for a reason so um but you know it's that obviously was the difference in that match. I mean, if, if Soderlin doesn't cramp and he plays that set out, who knows what happens in Nakashima and, and Rusohos are locked up in a battle, right? So those two matches, you know, probably they go deep, you know, they go deep three, you know, six, four, seven, five, seven, six type matches. And, and it's, it's anybody's game. And it was just a shame to see it, to see it end that way. I completely agree with you. Obviously, in a match in that level, two third sets between the one singles and two singles players on the team, those are the scenarios you draw up when you're painting your NCAA quarterfinal matches. I guess I'll end on this for you, Matt. Same thing about the weather, but just this, even though it was 4-2, you could tell just physically right off the bat for Wake Forest to get that sort of result. It started to wear on them even right then. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, the heat in Florida is no joke. It's very humid. I've been down there a lot, of, you know, a lot in the past. And, yeah, I mean, you have to play in it 
often to really get used to it. And like Chris mentioned, I mean, the best thing you can do is get down there early and just get used to playing in it. And, and Bresky is one of the best at doing that. I mean, he doesn't take any chances. So, you know, maybe it, it happened to get him through this match. But like you mentioned, Gruskin, I mean, you know, the more matches you play, that heat just starts to, to sap into you. And yeah, it's it's very tough. But one thing I do just want to mention real quick is is how talented of a team that UBA squad is. I mean, you know, we're talking about how close some of those matches could have been, you know, if if Nakashima and, and Petros finished or if Soderlin didn't cramp. I mean, that UVA team to me was was a possible title contender. I, I thought they were a top five team very super talented and you know this one got away from them but that was that was a good team and and they're young it'll be interesting to see you know where they go from here you know within the next couple years i agree with you it's gonna be fun to watch you lose guys like weirs holman lees and who are part of those national championship teams Obviously, your culture takes a second to adjust, but with Soderlin Nakashima hopefully returning, that is a ton of talent. But I'm going to throw freestyle on you. We're going to stick on this side of the draw, set up how Wake Forest got to the final. Uh, Westoff throwing another bell real quick, if you could, please. Um, one of the arguments I wanted to make all wedding long to anyone who would listen to me about tennis is I think the draw could not have broken more perfectly for a Wake Forest team that, let's be honest, had flaws. Everyone knew the doubles point for this team, you know, not its strength. They went into the final match 24-13 and 13 on the year in doubles, so obviously uh, they had lost plenty of doubles points and won plenty of matches, having only three losses on the year heading into that final, but for them to get two conference opponents who they know so well, knowing that, you know, they lost doubles points to, I believe, both of the teams earlier in the year, but still managed to beat those teams in those instances. I mean, it was just, it was a perfect setup for Coach Bresky. But to, you know, to UNC's credit, I guess, I guess uh, even before we talk about UNC, would you agree with that point, Chris? No way. What do you mean? You're telling me they wanted to see UNC instead of Ohio State? The team that had beaten them earlier in the year. No, you're just but but the way you said the the the, the draw set up for them, I'm thinking so coming coming into Orlando, if you t- you tell them first match you have to take on Virginia, second match you're getting either Ohio State or North Carolina, uh, and and then in the final, you know, obviously whatever in the finals, and you think that's the best line? I'm thinking. Texas probably says, I like my line better going through TCU and then, uh, you know, Florida than I do having to go Virginia and Carolina or Ohio State. I don't think, sorry, I don't think it was a huge, I don't think it's a huge, uh, a huge, uh, you know, on paper, you don't look at that and go, oh, absolutely. I want the Wake Forest path. Oh, see, so Matt, I'm I'm sorry for for not letting you respond first, but I completely disagree. Think about it. This Wake Forest team, they have a ton of hubris. This is a team confident in its capabilities. They know, you know, we and uh, I'm saying this as respectfully as possible. This is well deserved, you know, to have that sort of confidence after you are the defending national champs indoors, outdoors. You follow that up by making the finals of the indoors uh, ACC conference champions. They know, you know. When they can beat a team, they know you know they don't need to worry about losing the doubles point because they've been there before. And I just think familiar foes for a veteran team—that's what they wanted. And you know, for guys like 
Sid Banthia, who's going through his first NCAA tournament to match up with someone he knows well. I think that's a benefit for him, especially because this Wake Forest team that they lose so many doubles points always rely on him to find them. You know that uh, that fourth point, and so I just even I think the two things can be independent. Things broke well for Texas, but for Wake Forest particularly, I just felt like that's what they wanted. Well, the way that I look at this. I agree with with points that both of you made. Gruskin, to your point, I, I do think it helped them that they saw familiar foes. You know, they they know Virginia well. They know Carolina well. I do think there's some truth to that, that, you know, they go into those matches knowing, okay, we know exactly what these guys are going to bring to the table. We've played them already this year a couple times, both teams. And, yeah, like you mentioned, they knew after losing the dubs point that they could come back and win because they've done it before. But... To Chris's point, and I, I mean, I may be biased here, but I, I think the ACC is the best conference in the country. So <laughs> do you really want to play those teams? Like, is that the path that you want to draw up for yourself? Probably not. I mean, ideally, you don't want to see ACC teams. You know, Texas gets TCU and then Florida. I, I agree with Chris in, in the part that, you know, those ACC teams, man, are tough. So I don't think anybody wants the draw to fall that way. But the fact that Wake is in that conference and they see these teams year after year, all the time in the conference tournament, you know, in, in conference play in the regular season, I think that does help them as well. So I don't know. I mean, I kind of agree with both of you, parts of both of what you said. Well, to your point, Matt, uh, in terms of UNC being a tough foe, I mean, yeah, they gave Wake Forest everything they had in their semifinal match. Obviously, Wake Forest ends up winning the match 4-3, but for UNC, they take the doubles point, getting a 6-3 win at two doubles, a 6-4 win at three doubles, uh, repeating their success from the Ohio State match. And then for them, uh, you know, they get, I believe, three first sets, one from Blumberg, one from Cernok, one from Boyden, and that's always going to be the recipe from them. Cernok at four played so well all tournament long. Boyden at five, obviously the senior, the veteran, you know what you're going to get from him. And, of course, for Wake Forest, those are two spots if you're going to beat them you have to have. But just I think for North Carolina, even though they had a day off, it comes down to Will Blumberg, who, as we mentioned, tweaked that groin before. And I just... Again, the conditions, Chris, it's so tough in these matches. You're always at one single is going to get such physical matches. And Gojo just, he was, and not to overlook everything else, but again, it kind of broke the way you expect. Wake Forest gets wins at two from Petros, puts them right on the board. Three from Botzer, played so well and got a win today in the individual tournament as well over Cressy. Sid Banthia at six, he does his thing. But just Gojo was just, and not to simplify this match, but it simply came down to I thought Gojo was just the fresher player in the third. Yeah, you know, I don't. It's, obviously, we we all have biases. I'm not gonna pretend I didn't want someone to win, right? And, and I'm <laughs> I'm pulling for North Carolina only because you know, in in all in reality, I just I love Petros but I didn't want to see a repeat. I wanted somebody else in there. Right. So I, I wanted to see Carolina come through. So I'm sitting there pulling for, for Blumberg <laughs> and he gets the break right away in the third and then Goyo gets it back. And then Blumberg goes up a break again and then Goyo gets it back. And I was like, you know, and of course I, I said, the, the funny thing is in the back of my mind, all I can think the entire time is Dave Yamani is going to be going Goyo owns him. 
Goyo owns him, right? <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. because of the history between them, you know, and it just and and, and he uh, yet again for the third time, right, a, a three set win uh, over him. But yeah, he, I mean, he, he turned it on when he needed to turn it on uh, and, and won the match. And you know, he give the guy credit; he, he deserved to win the match the way he did. So, uh, and it was so cool. The videos from the Wake Forest Twitter account they show the Wake Forest team on the sideline tweeting, uh, tweeting for them, cheering for him. And you can just, I'm sure Gojo might have been the one sending tweets as well. But uh, they were just, you know, so positive. They're saying, you know, we trust you, we want you in this situation. And it speaks to the fact that when you have players coming off of a national championship experience, that's just going to benefit them in those scenarios. I mean, uh, it was just. It was incredible tennis. It's everything you love about college tennis, right, Matt? Oh, yeah. I mean, I love watching this matchup all the time anyway. I mean, these teams are great, but I, just looking at the box score here, I mean, this match to me just looks about right, doesn't it, guys? I mean, you look at the scores, Wake wins 1, 2, and 3. You know, Carolina gets 4 and 5 where Wake is, you know, probably their weakest and, and Carolina's strong. And then Wake gets that six court. I mean, it just looks, you know, if if I were going to call it before the match, I mean, this is probably exactly how I would have drawn it up. If somebody would have said, you know, Wake's going to win it 4-3, who's going to win where? This is exactly what you would have chosen. And I just feel like it puts, <laughs> there's so much pressure on Blumberg to win because honestly, Carolina can't win at two, most likely. They can't win at three. And it just, it really means that Blumberg has to be that that third singles match if they're going to upset Wake. And like Chris mentioned, Gojo kind of owns him. I mean, I hate to say it, but he just it's the fact. So, you know, this one goes goes Wake's way again, and, and they're into the finals. I just think Chris wanted any team that's initial started with U and ended with C, he would have felt validated. <laughs> so we understand that bias from him. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're never going to guess bet against Petros, obviously. And just in the end, Wake Forest, uh, they were that good. But we'll, I'll mention it again because it's a theme you'll see in Coach Bresky's comments when we see in the after the comments after the finals. Another physically draining match for this Wake Forest team. And yeah, there was only one three-set match, but it came from one of their anchors at one singles, a point they rely on so often. And it was his second three-set match of the weekend. Just you see a theme starting to build for this Wake Forest team, I guess. But all right, with that, let's start. I guess any any final thoughts, Chris? Any final thoughts, Matt? Or you guys want to talk about the other side of the draw? Well, I think, you know, the only thing, my last thought on that is that, that what coming into the year I would not have predicted was going to be the case is that Carolina really was a guy short because they just didn't have someone that down the stretch that could win at six. And, I mean, I still remember Sondergaard from last year, the year before, actually two years ago, watching him at indoors. And I think he was playing three back then. He was. He played three against Carl Soderlund. Soderlund beat him in the semifinals. But I remember being like, damn, both these young kids are really good. And to see him now playing six and not able to win. And between the fact, between having Sondergaard and Kiger there and neither one of them uh, being able to win, I mean, that I think in the end, that was that was kind of the difference in in the, the team for them is they just they couldn't find a win at six which is which they which they needed for a really deep team that's you know stacked with talent they just they couldn't get it done there and that that was the difference 
the flip side of that, assuming Blumberg doesn't kill it on the pros, which is a very likely scenario, and he comes back, or which is a very possible scenario, I should say, but that he comes back for his senior year if Seguin comes back. This is going to be an incredibly talented team come next year, one that I am certain we will both be, or all three of us will be watching. Matt, any final thoughts? Yeah, uh, well, now that you bring it up, I mean, I do have a, a quick couple final thoughts. If if we have a moment here, I'd like to ask Chris. No, you, you know what? We don't have a moment. GSPs are too short or too long. We got to cut. No, of course we have a moment. <laughs> Chris, would you would you have thought about putting Kiger in at six in that match? Even though I know he'd been struggling, so don't give me that answer. But Sonergard is a guy that. You mentioned started playing at three. He has not improved. I've watched him over the, the last couple years now. His game has not gotten any better. He, he's the same player that he was when he came to college. And Kyger, in the past, has been a reliable player for the Heels. I know maybe not in his last couple matches, but if you look at his record and throughout the course of his career, he's been solid down in that sixth position. I just feel like against Bonthia, the matchup... I, if it was me, I probably ro- would have rolled the dice with Kiger in that one. Yeah, I I, I think you – I mean, you can – they seem to be a pick because neither one was, was winning. But I think what right. happened was that was that Sondergaard was actually playing, you know, a decent match against two – well, I'll say decent – a decent half a match against Tubert after going down a set and four love. And then yeah. – and then all of a sudden catches fire uh, to get back in that match and take it to the end. And, you know, in the Tigers last match that he played against USC, he loses to Bullis like, I don't know, it was two and three or three and two, something like yeah. that. So I think you're kind of just taking what you what what seems to be the better form coming in matchup wise. You know, I don't know. You know, Banty is like I'd never really seen him. I got to see a lot of him this weekend. And man, and and I think TV generally makes you look bigger he looks scrawny i mean he looks yeah he looks he looks like there's nothing to him so so i'm thinking that's the kind of guy that you maybe you're hoping you can push around the court and sondergaard's a big guy but you know obviously didn't work out for him but uh but yeah that was that's a tough call yeah it was just a thought that i had i mean watching it i I just i said you know what man i i wonder what kiger could do in this match but eh, who knows he probably would have lost anyway (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, you look at the buildup they played, and then again, I swear we're moving on because I do want to talk about it, but you look at their earlier results. Kiger did beat Banthia 6-4, 6-2 in the dual match. And, uh, yeah, in the indoors, Boyden was the one playing six, so they didn't get to match up there. But would have been an interesting choice for Coach Paul, although I do believe he was just playing the hot hand, or the hot hand, as Chris said. And you can't, you know, a number nine seed making the semifinals. Obviously, they had done very well, so I'm sure they don't have any regrets. But, or, I mean, who knows? These coaches, I'm sure they think about it. Maybe they do have regrets. But with that being said, let's talk about the other side of the draw. Westoff, if you could, give me a bell, please. So I want to do this side a little bit differently. These quarterfinal results were a little bit more lopsided, so uh, not exactly uh, as much to talk about. You talk about Texas versus TCU. Obviously, this is a rematch from their earlier matchup in during the conference year that Texas won. I believe they won every singles match after losing the doubles point at TCU. 
Uh, here they were able to flip that result in doubles and you know once they did that 6-2-6-3 the math was just looking awfully tough for TCU the moment I really want to you know kick us off with there was a brief moment Rybakov had won his first set and both Stalder and Kruger for TCU were playing in tiebreakers for their first sets and when they lost those two I mean it was really it was over from there Chris right oh absolutely I mean we I think we all thought, hey, Rybakov probably gets the win at one. And uh, we were probably all surprised a little bit, at least, to see Stalder, uh, you know, play in a very tight match with with Tellus. But, but yeah, I mean, you had, uh, you know, you, you had Alistair Gray. They, that set went 7-5. And then Kruger and, and Stalder both go 7-6. And the other two are 6-4s. I mean, they, they were there. They just couldn't get it when they lost the breakers for for sure, because Texas, uh, uh, Texas had already jumped out very quickly uh, on on six to, to make it look like they're putting a point up. And then Ito put a point up pretty quickly after the close first set at at two. And, you know, there, there was just no way TC was going to come back and get all of the other matches. Yeah, and the biggest takeaway from this one, right away, Texas's depth stands out. They're up 7-6-4-3 at 3, 7-6-6-3 win at 4, 6-4-5-6 up 40-15 at 5, 6-4-6-2 at 6. I mean, just the depth, the experience, that is what Texas was able to rely on and turn to all weekend long, right, Matt? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, and... TCU, I kind of feel bad. I want to apologize to TCU because it's a team that I've doubted all year long. I've picked them to lose in so many matches. I didn't, you know, I never trusted them. And you know what? I mean, they end up making the quarterfinals. So hats off to them. They, they had a great year. They really did. But, you know, again, and I've said this before, but I just, I have not trusted their depth. And when you're going against a team like Texas, where they're extremely deep, and I mean, they're arguably the deepest team in the country look they I mean they win titles so um yeah to me this was this was not a surprise at all Rybakov is great at one I've I've never you know strayed from that I've said that all along but it's just those four five and six guys I've never never really believed in them and you know it, it is what it is yeah I agree with you well I mean, we will talk more about Texas in a little bit, obviously, but let's talk about the other half of that quarterfinal uh, side. Florida knocks off Baylor 4-0, really played their best match of the season, if I do say so myself. Uh, they get the doubles point. Inglidson and Kessler with a 7-5 win over the number one seeds, Ben Dick and Law. Uh, Crawford and Perez, a relatively new doubles pairing, a 6-4 win over Little and Soto. I mean, this was a great doubles pairing decision from Coach Shelton, Chris. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you get Crawford back in. They had been playing Riffis, and I think that may have been just because Crawford had been ailing a little because they had submitted Crawford in the in the Dubs lineup. But uh, uh, but yeah, they finally get out there, and uh, and all of and both of those courts were down breaks early, so it wasn't you know it wasn't looking good for them all the way, but they. They got back. Uh, they got back on on serve, and then met, both managed to get the break. And I mean, that had to that kind of set the tone for that match. I think once once that happened, uh, you know, we were all of the same mindset there that that you know the Baylor's not going to pull off four singles matches from these guys, right? And then they get four first sets for Florida, and you know Crawford's about to finish his second set, get the split back on one. Inglitson's up a break on three, but yeah, the Florida depth just shine through in that moment, and 
I have to say, Matt, I thought Florida handled – I mean, they got to play the night match, and they obviously are the most home crowd of any team in the that was in the draw, but they brought the energy. I mean, this was – I guess I was feeling really, really confident in my tennis recruiting article pick of Florida at the national championship after this one. Yeah, and both of you guys know that Florida was my pick to win the title as well, so I was feeling good. I mean, this is the Florida team – that I wanted to see and that I thought, you know, if they would play this way throughout the tournament, that they'd win it. Um, you know, they were phenomenal. I mean, I want to give a shout out to McLean Kessler. I mean, he played excellent in doubles. They take out the number one team in the country, big win there. And then, you know, he gets inserted into the singles lineup and, you know, doesn't miss a beat. I mean, just rolls Bendak at six. He played really, really good tennis, probably the best I've ever seen him play. Uh, so yeah, all around, it was a really good team effort and Baylor. Yeah. Like Chris mentioned, I mean, once, once Baylor dropped the dubs point, I just, I I had no, I really had no confidence that they were going to be able to find four singles matches and you know, I mean, they weren't, they really weren't close. So yeah. Well, let's clarify something now real quick. You talk about those picks. One, we'll call him Chris Halioris. I like to refer to him when I'm angry as Christopher. Uh, had the audacity to call me out on Twitter and be like, Gruskin's prediction was wrong. Mine was right. All of us were wrong. I've got the tape, my friend. So, you know. <laughs> I just said the pre-match pick that day. Right. I, I, knew what, I knew what Chris was talking about. I. <laughs> But yeah, so I'll bring up just a funny anecdotal story here. So you you know that uh, you know I I love I love Cass right, and and it kind of it it runs in the family, and we even kind of joked this year about my whole family was when when they Florida was putting out things about Kessler at the end of his career, you know his his senior season finishing, was commenting on articles, and Trevor pops in to, to that right and says like. All I want to know is how come my family's giving giving props to the guy that beat me twice, <laughs> right? So, so my you know, Trevor's little brother, my other nephew, who happens to be for those that follow the, my college tennis rank stuff on Twitter, uh, I had tweeted out that Dave Roditi had gone up to somebody after we after Mississippi State lost to TCU, which happened to be Trevor happens to be Trevor's little brother, and said, "Hey, man." you what you do out there you're outstanding i wish we had you on our side like well done because because noah is an absolute i mean he's a pest in the best kind of way right he never says anything negative to the opposing player but you but like dave said i you know where he is every second you can hear him you can feel him you like know he's looking down at you and you're just waiting for the for the comments he he was at the match sitting on ben Heck and kessler's court the entire time pulling for Kessler to the point that Bendek asked the referee twice to go tell him to stop talking to him when he wasn't even talking to him. <laughs> I mean, that, that was just uh, but that was, yeah, that Kessler had, that was a great match from Kessler. Well, I'm happy you said that antidote because I think that's the perfect way to transition to our semifinal match. I would say the tale of Florida's demise with all due respect, and I'm not trying to take any credit away from this Texas team because I'm sure we'll talk about how well they played, 
But McLean Kessler just he had a incredibly brutal semifinal match in for Texas. I mean, you talk about them against Florida. They're obviously going to be favorites in that doubles point, and they end up taking it, getting a six three win at one doubles. But uh, for Florida, they just had they had multiple chances at uh, three doubles. I believe they had match points when Texas was serving at five six. Uh, they were up five six uh, or six five at two doubles as well. But hold that thought on the doubles thing. For Kessler, he goes 0 of 7 on deuce points in his six singles loss to Banzer of Texas, 6-2, 6-4. I mean, that's the sort of result, that little stat that literally flips a match. Uh, when you're playing no ad, for sure. And I think that's where, you know, be- between <laughs> Kessler not pulling it out and then just, you know, I think if you're Florida and that, you just kind of like Wake has been, you're not overly concerned once you lose the doubles point and even you know i certainly hadn't been after doubles i thought yeah that's okay they they, they still get four singles matches you gotta like uh crawford at one i think the only spot that you really thought you know because ito had been playing so well was he's probably going to be a, a a favorite at two but everywhere else you give i like my chances with florida and yeah like you said kessler you lose when you lose seven deuce points that's i mean that's seven games in a in you know that that's a quarter of the match right there uh so that's that's going to be you know or more it's more than that's going to be really it's a half the match at this point with with the score the score was but it's it's going to be a really tough to come back from and and just the way that texas came out that was the shocking part i mean there was one point in the first set where they'd they'd obviously already taken doubles and they were up a break on all six courts uh, so to win dubs and then you're up a break on all six courts at one point. And I think at that point that I had tweeted out, Hey, the best Florida can hope for here is try to get two first sets and then try to come back for two more and three. And they did manage to come back and get two first sets, I think, but you know, Texas never really let it. They just wouldn't give them, wouldn't give them the room and, and kept their foot down. I would like the listeners to note that when Chris made a mistake in terms of his math, I did not try to publicly shame him. I let him correct himself. Uh, that's the sort of discretion we allow at the Great Shot Podcast. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. Andrade and Crawford, they take their first sets, and they give Florida a chance. As I mentioned to you, I think, before we started, we were golfing as part of Dalton's wedding uh, before or while this match was going, and I guess... Actually, I'm going to save the plate. No, 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 let's do this now. So, obviously, for our listeners, you know, this match, it's it was 3-2. It came down to Englandson in his th- uh, second set. He was up an early break, and then uh, Te- Teas Tellis for Texas broke back, and it was about 3-all, and Perez had taken his second set, and so they were battling in a third set, so it sounded like it was going to come down to those two matches. And then, of course, Playsite cuts out, and I guess this gets to the theme of Playsite and the broadcasting and the tennis channel and the bugs getting all over the cameras. And so let's take a quick tangent, I guess, before we set up our final match. Um, and then we can also finish up this Texas-Florida thing. But just in general, what did you guys think of the broadcasting? Because on one hand, great to have that sort of tennis channel exposure. But I think everyone on tennis Twitter, at least in college tennis Twitter, certainly had a few criticisms to share. Matt, let's start with you because I feel like we've cut you off for a while. Yeah, See, Luca so would have I want to start off. Himself. That's all I'm saying, Matt. Luca would have just spoken. You know what? I'm I'm respectful. Okay. <laughs> Again, discretion. <laughs> no, let me let me start off by saying that I 
it was great to have the the TC coverage, right? I mean, being able to sit home and watch on the TV and you know without having to stream it and and that I mean that was great. I I enjoyed that. It was new, something that I definitely enjoyed overall. But I I, I just have to bring this up because the commentary was god awful. I mean, there's just there's no way around it. I mean, mistakes were being made all over the place and. You know, I, I really don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but I mean, it just seemed like they weren't prepared to call a dual match. I, I don't know. It was just, I kept hearing mistakes after mistakes being made match after match. And I was watching all weekend and it never got any better. It never got any better. And it started to get a little frustrating. I mean, because I would just, I, I yell out to nobody at the TV and be like, nope, that's, that's wrong incorrect and this would happen time after time again and it was you know with facts i mean things that you know you wouldn't even have to really like study or or learn or you know something that was you know you could interpret the wrong way just things like you know saying somebody just broke back on a court in a set where really the other guy just held surf there was no break of surf like it was just completely the wrong thing it was it was really kind of bad uh, so that was a little disappointing. I mean, I would have loved to have seen some CR commentary there. Um, you know, it would have been a lot more fun. I think the fans overall would have enjoyed that better. I think we would have put out a better commentary product. But, you know, if we're talking about that, yeah, it was it was very poor. Uh, but if we're talking about overall just the viewing of it, yes, I enjoyed it. Because, you know, it, it, we don't get to see college tennis on on the TV all that much, you know, other than some of those match days that we've had on on Tennis Channel throughout the season. So that part of it I enjoyed. Commentary, um, you're getting an F from me. <laughs> well, Chris, you had a running diary of, dare I say, grievances throughout the weekend that kept me quite entertained as I entertained my fourth or fifth beer of the evening. So uh, I want to let you, because Bobby actually had a great piece in his quarterfinal recap about some notes that I want to read through, but, you know, can you share some of your thoughts as well? Well, I think, you know, I mean, a lot of what Matt said is, you know, I, I could echo the same things, but, you know, I always start with, and there's a couple guys that I, that I chat with a, a lot about, the broadcasting and my pet peeve with college tennis is and and these and and folks know is when it gets to love 40 and the first thing the commentator says is he's got three break points no he doesn't have three break points he's got four break points all right and they (laughs) they refuse to call love 40 or 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 the in essence this is a game point no there's no essence here it is a game point it's also a break point or it's a set point whatever but um but you know i think the frustrating part to me like matt said is it i can understand uh i mean there's there's certain things that from the commentators that they're just not going to be able to know because they don't cover the sport the entire season so when they try when they start making comments about some of the players about you know and we we had talked about some of this offline about somebody being a great volley or or somebody having to do with you know whatever it is right they really don't know they're 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 saying oh i just saw him make two good volleys he must be a great volleyer so i'm gonna make the comment that this guy is a great volleyer right they don't they don't know but to be honest right you know we we look at it and for 80 percent of the public that's watching this on on tv and isn't a college tennis fan to begin with but they've tuned in and and maybe we're attracting some new fans it's probably great because they have they don't have a clue and they don't know the, they don't know any better and 
those guys probably sound a lot more professional than than some some crackers like us would. But <laughs> for the twenty percent of the people that are really hardcore college tennis fans that want to hear the stupid crap that we would say, they would love <laughs> us, right? Right. <laughs> and maybe like we would miss so. we wouldn't miss the 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 fact or some of those kinds of things. But but no, the disappointing thing to me was like Matt said was forget the the things that you kind of have to have a history of knowing the people and knowing what things that have happened during the year because you follow the sport just flat getting facts wrong like the first the first day they kept they kept talking about the bracket and matching the wrong teams up i mean oh like surely they have a draw sheet sitting right in front of them right um it's little things like that and and so maybe that's that's you know they're going to have to get that, that criticism, that criticism, and that feedback. But I've been here prior to the the NCAA tournament, and uh, half of that broadcast does the N- the SEC tournament, and it's the same thing there. Uh, so I don't, you know, I, I think that's just that's just what you're going to get. And you know, I think we will live with it. Maybe it'll get better. Maybe maybe it won't. Yeah. Well, when when you when there's a, a match being played on court six and you say, all right, we're turning our attention to courts three and four because that's those are the only matches remaining. All you have to do is look down to court six and see that they're still playing. I mean, it's not that hard. I, you know, just please like open your eyes at least and get that part of it right. Yeah. And I will say though that that, that is one other piece that really isn't that has nothing to do with the commentators per se, but you know, whoever it is, and I'm not, are they watching? I'm not a TV producer. Right. But somebody I remember watching at the sec tournament, they had one guy down kind of, you have those little, uh, those little triangle areas to where the ball that are meant to catch the balls that are between the courts at the back, the back fence. They had a guy standing inside one of those, looking over the courts that was trying to do his best and because I could sit behind him and listen and he would be cueing to the truck, right? Hey, let's go to court four. It's 40, 15 set point or right. He was kind of giving those cues. They could have used a little more of that because you would see in some of these matches that there were things happening on a court that we should be watching yet. We're focused on a totally different court. Uh, so so that's that's some more of the hey just you know having somebody with the presence to know which which cameras should be on which courts at what time and and switching at the right point in time. But, but you know I think all of that's again they don't ever televise team tennis during the year, so those are things that even they would have to you know they'd have to they're gonna have to get better at. I agree with a lot of what you guys said. I guess I'll add a few more things real quick. In terms of the positives, I thought they added a split. I believe they added split screen where they started showing a couple of matches at once later on in the tournament. I liked that as an addition. Would have liked to see that more. I thought Orlando shined as a facility. It looked gorgeous in the shots. Just the view, the sun, all of it. The, the facility certainly looks ready-made for a college event. But, you know, some of the things... Uh, Bobby mentioned in his, uh, I'm sure for the broadcasting perspective, internationally, obviously, they don't have tennis channels. So when tennis channels swooped up the rights, it became a little harder to follow the matches. There were some that didn't have play site. I just think that's stupid. We've talked about it before. For us hardcore nerds, please leave play site so that I can scroll between four, five, and six singles whenever I want to. I just think that's just a nice little added benefit. Uh, some other things they mentioned, you mentioned the fact that, um, 
you know that they don't call it uh break points when it's 15 you don't have four break points at love 40 you only have three another thing i thought they did way too often in doubles was they would say set point it's a match point bobby mentioned that as well you're only playing one set uh, as a match point but overall it's just it was clear that it was it was easier to watch this year's final. And there were some scoreboard issues as well. I feel like the font was way too big, but that's just me being an idiot. Um, it, it, it's just like you'd like to have the live scoring have no glitches by the time you reach NCAA time. But overall, I agree with you, Matt, and I think you're saying this as well, Chris. It was a success. I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Would Would you rather turn Tennis Channel on and see it, or would you rather see nothing? I mean, honestly, right. I mean, I would getting the exposure is great. No, I'd rather turn Tennis Channel on and see the two of us. <laughs> well, okay. That, I mean, you know, yeah. That's, there's there's a big leap between audio and video, though. I'm not sure the the public's ready for that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That may be true, but all right, let's transition to our final match. I mean, any other thoughts on this? Any thoughts on that last semifinal? Are you guys ready to talk about the final? Uh, let's go to the final. All right, I like to, I like to hear Westoff give me one final bell. Um, so obviously we have number two seed Texas against defending national champs and number four seed uh, Wake Forest in this match. As we've mentioned, Wake Forest had won one doubles point coming into it in the entire NCAA tournament. That wasn't obviously since that hadn't happened since the first round against Morgan State, and so for them to come out and win the doubles point in the final, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but someone who our listeners will be aware of texted me and said, "Oh, if Wake gets the doubles point, it's over," and you know I, I think I agree. We we all felt that way, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm with you there. I took. I, I took Texas, but as soon as they lost the doubles point, I was like, God, they're toast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the person, person who sent me that, that was you, Chris. Chris. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't send you that, Gruskin, but I might as well have because I was saying it. That's for sure. Yeah, I was having buyer's remorse with my Texas pick as soon as they <laughs> lost doubles for sure. <laughs> no, but I mean, so for Wake Forest, for them, you 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 know, we aren't behind the scenes, but you can only imagine how they're feeling after two physically draining matches in their quarterfinal and semifinal match. And it really felt like after they got that doubles point through the first half of the first sets, they were just in a position to win. You know, they had a first set from Petros, obviously that's huge. First set from Kungu, who raced out, I believe, to a set and a 4-0 lead. Banthia was up 5-1, had set points for himself. But then that theme we harped on through the entire first half of the podcast, Wake Forest blinked. They got tired. And for Texas, the fact that they were able to win, you don't want to say comfortably over Florida, but the matches they won, a lot of them were in straight sets. Uh, the fact that they were able to win comfortably over TCU, they were the fresher team, and in the end, that made the difference when the margins are so thin. Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy, but I mean, I, really, <laughs> I, I don't know, guys. I really think that if they had played these out, I mean, it, it could have easily gone six singles to, to Texas. I mean, I just it was shocking to me the way that this went down. I just... I don't know. I just didn't did not see it coming at all. I mean, I knew Texas was good. They're very deep. They're an experienced team. They have talent, but I mean, there is no way that I was gonna that I thought Petros would lose that match. I mean, I know Ito had been playing great. He's a very good player, but Petros for for a natty? I mean, you're gonna pick against him? No, no way. And then, you know, I guess 
you know, with Gojo having some, it looked like he was just physically, you know, he wasn't able to really give it his best effort. I mean, he hung in there somewhat three and four, but, you know, I expected him to win that match. And, you know, I thought they were going to get another one and, you know, come out with that victory. So, yeah, it's crazy. But Texas, man, I mean, huge credit to that team. They fought through a lot of adversity. Wow. Yeah. What a year. I mean, they, they were great. Yeah, and you look in uh, Coach Bresky's comments, as I mentioned, and uh, I think he just talked about it. He said, I honestly just think we died physically today. I think yesterday probably caught it up to us a little bit. We really could have used some rain or a thunderstorm or a delay just to postpone a little bit. We got off some good starts. We were up breaks, just didn't finish off a couple of sets. As the match got physical, they shined. Uh, I don't think it, it was that we weren't tough. Yesterday was a tough match, and the conditions were tough, and it really got to us. So, yeah, I, I think – Everyone who watched the match was aware of the fact that this was a worn-down Wake Forest team, and I think that speaks to the fact they dug themselves in so many holes. They had to play so many 4-3 matches or just so much wear and tear on those top three guys when you look at their records throughout the season. I mean, for Gojo, he didn't play that many matches, but still 15-3 and on the year. Botzer, 25-2. Petros, 23-2 coming into the match. There was just a lot of wear and tear, a lot of expectations on those guys, and I just think it's fair to say, Chris, they they just ran out of steam in the end. And that's not to take anything away from this Texas team, but that's just from the Wake Forest perspective. Yeah, uh, break out the violin. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you claim that all you want. We're talking about kids, kids, men, whatever, that from, you know, 19 to 26 or whatever they are. But, I mean, there's these guys are in shape it's by the time they yes everybody's tired let's get out the total match time that the texas kids played versus the match time the wake forest kids played it's not going to be that drastically different if they were on court for an extra hour okay but i mean it's it's as much mentally draining as it is physically draining right i mean and it's hot and everybody's tired believe me that you know texas guys are tired too and I think it's the it's it's the guys that end up figuring out how to how to manage that mentally when you are physically tired. Everybody's body was uh, was tired, I'm sure. So, you know, uh, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not going with, you know. Yes, I'll say Wake Forest was tired, but hell, I'll say Texas is tired too. They were all sitting out there in that dang dang heat and humidity down there. Well, absolutely. You're right. We shouldn't be taking away from this Texas team because you look at what they did to get wins at one and two singles, particularly against Wake Forest. And, you know, they almost had a chance to sweep all of the top three if Botzer doesn't fight off match points. But just such an impressive for them. But even better, you know, at four singles, they're down a set and 4-0. In the end, Harrison Scott is up 5-0 in the third, and that match doesn't get to finish. They obviously would do what they have to do at five singles. Banzer uh, fights back from that first set, being down set points, wins 5-4 and four over Banthia, and Banzer himself had some issues serving out the match. But you're right, down the lineup, I mean, when you have four seniors, three through six, two juniors at one and two who are both top 15 players in the country, Matt, that that'll do it yeah that'll do it and and let's just be frank about it I mean they they handed it to wake I mean I'm counting court four as a loss so that's that's five singles right there for Texas and I mean there was a good chance that Tellis comes through and beats Botzer for the sixth I mean if you're gonna win six singles matches against Wake Forest I mean you know we can talk about the heat and the fatigue and all that but 
I mean, that's kind of getting your ass kicked. I mean, if we're just being honest about it. So I, you know, I, I just don't know. I think it's, I think it's disappointing for, for Wake. I really do. You know, Bresky can play it off and say that, you know, it was a tough day and, you know, the heat got to them and they were tired and all that. But I don't know, man, you guys won the dubs point. You were in position to win back to back natty titles. It was there. I mean, it was set up. And, you know, to come out like that in singles, I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if we can give them a pass or not. But, yeah, I mean, big credit to Texas. I mean, they earned it. That, that's a veteran squad. I remember saying at the beginning of the year that, you know, I had underestimated them a little bit. I kind of forgot about them. You know, what they did last year, they were a decent team. But this whole year, I mean, they were right up there at the top. They were a solid top five team throughout the entire year. And, you know, when it was crunch time, that, that experience paid off. And, you know, maybe even a couple unlikely contributions from guys like Ito that, you know, we knew were good. But, I mean, he played really, really well. You know, I, I don't know if any of us would have pictured him taking Petros out, you know, for, for a national title. So, overall, great coaching job. Great job for those guys to stick together throughout a tough season. And they earned it, man. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You said that very well for Ito. I mean, he played such a good match. Ends up getting named uh, most outstanding player of the tournament. Banzer, yeah, Banzer uh, is the all-tournament team at six singles. Chi-Chi Huang and Ito get the all-tournament team at three doubles. This was a team that succeeded at every spot at the lineup. You know, Siskard, yeah, he, he's, you know, top 10 player, but against these top teams, it's often he's an underdog, and for him to deliver in this uh, performance, so impressive. This Texas team ends the year, I believe, 29-3 and overall. Their three losses, you know, semifinals to, uh, I believe, Ohio State at the indoors. They lost to USC during the year, and then they lose in that men's final to Baylor. But for them to weather the storm, we haven't talked about it, but obviously their coach implicated in the admissions scandal. He gets fired during the year, and interim coach Bruce Burke steps up from his assistant role. But this was a team he had you know, been the assistant for for a couple of years. He knew the roster well. This was an older team, perfectly equipped to handle that sort of adversity. And, you know, with that sort of uh, mental strength, they earned the first national title in program history. I mean, Chris, what does it say that at the end of the day, the oldest team, the team with the most experience, I guess the two teams with the most experience ended up in the final in the end, you know, the team with seniors throughout their lineup get the win? Well, yeah, experience, as you've pointed out many times this year, experience in the, in the team sport really makes a big difference at this level. It's hard, you know. Yeah, you can come in with a bunch of young guys and talented guys, but it still takes, you know, it, it takes some of those experienced guys. And I'll tell you a couple interesting side notes here. One is when everything happened with uh, with Texas earlier in the year, the guy that had that had been kind of the favorite at number six under Coach Center was Chi Chi Wang. And when Burke took over, that that seemed to have shifted back over to Rodrigo Banzer. And that could have been that, you know, may have been a big difference. Uh, and obviously Banzer's the more experienced guy. Wang's a freshman. Uh, so that was, you know, not necessarily that that was the case. Maybe Banzer just started playing better, but, but that was one difference. And then the other for, for the listeners, you guys may know, but they beat him. They beat wake at one and two, and you can count on one finger. And now that the career's over because Petros is a senior, the number of times that those two guys lost 
in a in a dual match. It's incredible, and I, I and sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but to your point about Chi Chi Huang, that Coach Burke takes him out of singles, but leaves him in at three doubles, and allows him and Ito to have the success they did all year. They go sixteen and five, seventeen and five in the end. I mean, it's a testament to the coaching job Coach Burke did all season long to keep this ship steady. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he 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 pulled all the right strings uh, once he once he was kind of put into that position for sure. Yeah, and to the and, pe- and one more thing, guys. Let's let's not lose sight of the fact that you know I don't know if we are, but just just to say that you know it is an experienced Texas team, but they're also pretty talented. I mean, you look up and down that lineup. I mean, Sigsgard is a talented player at one, Ito at two. I mean, you just go up and down the lineup. I mean, Colin Marks, that's a guy who's improved a ton from his freshman year. I, I remember when he was a freshman, you know, way back when, and and now look at him. I mean, he's winning matches you know, on the biggest stages in the sport. So I just feel like that combination of experience plus the talent, it was enough to get it done. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. And to your point, Chris, about Borna and Petrus, yeah, if if Wakes, you know, I think Coach Bresky said this as well, look, if you're going to beat us, lose the doubles point to us, but then beat us at one and two singles, hats off to you. You know, you deserve it, and I agree. I think everyone agrees. Texas deserved this win now. Real quick, just on the Wake Forest thing for Petros, and I, I guess Petros in particular, Borna, you know, NCAA singles finalist, uh, you know, played in two NCAA finals, has a national indoor championship as well. He's got a great resume, but just on this ending note for Petros, it's such an outstanding college career coming to an end. I guess for both of you, if I'm talking 21st century tennis players, he's probably right on my second tier, maybe a bit below the DeVarmans, the Isners, the Steve Johnsons, but this guy was so special. Oh yeah, I mean you got to put him up there, right? I mean it's, he's just a such a such a talented guy and a, and a and a tough competitor, and it's going to be fun to to see where he goes, uh, you know, kind of how how he does from from here on out. Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I completely agree. This guy for me is is one of the greats. I mean he just he he didn't lose much at, at all ever, and every time that I could watch him play. I would want to watch him play, and I, I just because I, I knew that something special. I mean, he could just come up with special stuff. I mean, and he played his best tennis usually when when adversity was there and and he was under the gun. He would come up with some pretty incredible stuff. I mean, it's it's tough that that his career is coming to an end, at least in college tennis, because he's one of those guys that I just I took every opportunity I could to watch him play. It was great fun. And it's yeah, fun watching those guys. Like you know, he he's a guy that you want when you're watching him play. You're looking at him going, "There's no, I mean, there's no huge weapon, right? I mean, it's not, he's not bombing the serves on you like a yep. Keegan Smith or a Cressy. He's not ripping just monster forehands. That I mean, he just does every single thing well, and he hits the ball so clean. It's yep. so hard, so hard to get him off the court. He just was such a natural fit for this environment. Such a smooth tennis player. Seemed to always thrive in the biggest moments. You can only imagine how crushed he was after this result. And, you know, him pulling out of the NCAA individuals. Yeah, he doesn't have a U.S. Open wild card on the line. But you just feel like emotionally he was just ready. He he wasn't, you know, ready. He didn't want to play that next day. But, yeah, 
what a career from him. A shame that this Wake Forest team, it ends the way they did, but what a run they had these past, I'll say, three years because they were the number one seed uh, a couple of years ago when Virginia won their last title. But just great run for them. I mean, any final thoughts on this NCAA tournament? We'll start with you, Matt, and then Chris. Yeah, I mean, overall, it was great. Again, I mean, I enjoyed watching a lot of it on on the TV. I thought that was a great move for Tennis Channel to make that happen. Um, You know, I'm not going to talk about the commentary again. We already done that. But, yeah, no, overall, great tournament. I I think for Texas, it was really, really well-deserved. I didn't didn't think they were going to do it. I mean, I picked Florida, obviously, so that was the team that I thought was going to do it. But, yeah, great season for them. And, yeah, overall, it was a lot of fun. Chris, your thoughts? Yes, I mean, just obviously, I can echo, echo Matt's thoughts, and I just think that uh, you know, I it's it was it's hard to understate how impressive Texas was. Uh, I mean, they were just so good through the through that tournament, and so dominant in the in the last two matches against the two teams that I think coming in we all thought had the best singles lineups in yeah. Florida and Wake Forest and to take it to both of them uh, in, in singles was just, I mean, super, super impressive. So, you know, hats, hats off to those guys. Just, just what a, what a run. Look, we talked about it all season long. We did our top five list. We talked about the contenders, but we all said what it would come down to is it's very simple. The team, because all their levels are so close, the team that plays best on on that given weekend in Orlando was going to be the one that won. And I think, simply put, Texas played the best all weekend long, one through six. They could count on different guys, every different match to come through. And that's why they were so successful. And yeah, it was... An incredible college season. What I like most is the two senior lace teams make the finals. So, uh, you know, next year it's really once again going to be a wide open field. So many teams with a bunch of opportunities. We'll end with this question because I I know we have a lot of individuals to talk, but we already went, you know, way over what I expected. So we can save that for another time. Chris, then Matt, your favorites to win the 2020 NCAA men's title at this point. Florida, come on! Oh God, it's not even close. Over UNC? It's not even close. Yes, yes. UNC is really good. Okay, so when they, I'll stick with exactly with the, my immediate tweet when they announced that next year's indoor site was at Wisconsin. <laughs> my first tweet was, "Well, welcome Wisconsin. You have eleven months to prepare to play Florida." <laughs> because Wisconsin will be the 16th seed, you know, the host gets an automatic entry into the tournament. Wisconsin was nowhere near being any ranked this year. They will they will be worse than any of the 15 people that win the kickoff. So they'll be the 16th seeded indoors next year. Florida will be the first, the top seed. Um, yeah, I mean, if Blumberg comes back, then sure you can make your. But I don't I don't know who else they've got coming in. I mean they're because they are losing Boyden, right? So, uh, so that's one hole to fill, and they were already they were already somewhat hurting at six. Now, granted, you know that's hurting in relative to the best teams. Uh, Kiger's going to be outstanding against ninety percent of the teams they play, right? But, but, uh, but no, Florida for sure. They they lose Alfredo, and that, and and that's it. And right, and you had got and and they were already having trouble trying to figure out who to play, right? They're not playing Greif. Who you know they? You're looking at that, going, why isn't Grice playing every match? Uh, 
So, well, and I mean, they're losing Kessler, but Kessler, you know, that was a big, that was a decision every match. So they're going to be fine. And they've got, they've got guys coming in. So they'll, Florida's going to be, they'll be the, they should be the heavy favorite next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree there. Look, I picked Florida this year. I thought this was going to be the year they got it done, you know, with a guy like Alfredo Perez still on the team. But you know what? Why not next year, right? I mean, Crawford's a year older. Riffis, I mean, is going to have this year under his belt. You know, Chris mentioned Greif, who really didn't even play all that much this year. I mean, he's got a year of college tennis under his belt. He kind of knows the ropes a little bit more now. I just... The talent on that team, the depth, it just up and down, it, it's hard to really I, – I always hate doing predictions kind of at this point. I mean, look, we just <laughs> ended this year, so it's it's a little premature. Come back to me, you know, a few months from now, and we can revisit it again. But if, I'm, if I have to give you an answer right now, I mean, it's got to be Florida at this point. Well, that's fair. I mean, look, I said all season long this Florida team reminded me a lot of the UVA first team when they – uh, that freshman year with Ty and JC and Luca when they lost in the semifinals to USC, who was just the more experienced team with Hanafman and Kiroz at the time and Sarmiento at the top of that lineup. And that's sort of what happened. I think they're the obvious pick. If I was to pick two other teams, UNC and, you know, say Ohio State gets JJ Wolf back, which probably isn't going to happen. But if they do, that's an interesting team as well. It's it's going to be a wide open field. There's a lot of fun things ahead of us. There's also still a really fun individual tournament ahead of us. So, Matt, Chris, I reserve the right to call you guys back later this week. I'll end, as always, with a huge shout-out to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, who have a f- of an editing job to do, as always. If you missed any of the action, be sure to check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. A ton of great content on there. Check out our Cracked Interviews podcast where we got the chance to talk to a lot of these players who had you know, fairly consequential, consequential weekends. Leave that all in. And so we, I'm certain you'll enjoy those interviews. But Matt, Chris, thank you as always. Uh, I'll give you one last shot. Any, any final words for this pod? Yeah, JJ, get a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I I agree there, Chris. I'm with you on that one, man. Uh, we'll save I'll, that for the I'll individuals. Leave that, at that. that feels like a yeah. perfect topic uh, to transition to the individuals. But thank you to both of you. So I will say for my wonderful co-hosts, Matt Stachowiak and Chris Halliores, for our super producers, Max Fliegner and Danny Westoff, and from our entire team at Crack Rackets, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Guys, what do we say to our listeners? Hey, great shot. Chris, we're not going to get one from you. Is this a response for me roasting you too much? I was letting, I was letting Stachowiak have all the glory. <laughs> hey, great shot. Oh, I love it. And thank you for all you guys did in 2019. We will talk to you more about the individuals later this week. Yeah.